Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Transportation Authority of Marin Board of Commissioners meeting today, May 25th, on the 23rd. Item one is the chair's report. The chair has no report, but it looks like we have a full house and a little bit of public comment, so I am super excited. We now lead off with item number two, which is the crossing guard of the year. This oh, is one. Chair, yes. Uh, oh, take a roll call. And oh, right, see. right. Roll call is in order. Jennifer, the roll call, please. Commissioner Blasey. Yes. Commissioner Carmel. Here. Commissioner Carroll. Here. Commissioner Collin. Present. Commissioner Petrano. Here. Commissioner Farrakh. Present. Present. For Katrana, not Farrakh, but she's also here. <laughs> Commissioner Farrakh, here. Commissioner Fredericks, here. Commissioner Kevnitzer, here. Commissioner Cool, here. Commissioner Malton Peters, here. Commissioner Ravazio, here. Commissioner Rice, here. Commissioner Rodoni, here. Commissioner Sackett, here. Vice Chair Lucan, here. Chair Colbert, here. Great, you have a quorum. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer, can you provide the public participation announcements? Yes. This meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting. A Zoom webinar link has been provided as well as accommodations for in-person attendance. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. For members of the public participating in person, the board chair will recognize persons from the audience who wish to address the board during public open time or on a particular agenda item at the time that item is considered by the board. Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raise hand feature or dialing star nine and waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Meeting related comments may also be sent to info at tam.ca.gov and will be read when the specific agenda item is considered by the board and will become part of the public record. Please note that there is a three minute limit for comment. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Move on to item one, the chair's report. Uh, I've got a couple announcements. Uh, I'd like to appoint Commissioner uh, Melissa Blaustein to the Alternative Fuel and Electric Vehicle Ad Hoc Committee. And I would like to appoint uh, Mary, uh, Commissioner Sackett to the Commute Alternative and Trip Reduction Ad Hoc Committee. Do we have any public comment on the chair's report? Uh, in the room, Jennifer online. Chair, I don't see any hands raised at this time. Thank you so much. We'll move on to item number two, the crossing guard of the year. So now we have one of our many feel-good items of the year, but this may be our, what, did I say things funny? <laughs> this may be our best feel-good item of the year. I am pleased to present the Crossing Guard of the Year Award. This year's honoree is Alice Yen, a dedicated crossing guard and much-loved community member of Mill Valley. I would like to welcome Alice to the meeting. Welcome, Alice. In a, fast, in a fascinating turn of events, Alice happens to be from the same home province in China as our TAM staff member, Lee. And although Alice's English is quite proficient, Lee will be able to help us with translation if needed. <laughs> I will turn it now over to Commissioner Urban Carmel, our Southern Marin and representative on TAM. 
Bill Valley Representative. Irvin? Yes, thank you, uh, Chair. Um, hello, Tam Board and guests. I'm pleased to introduce and welcome Alice Yan as Crossing Guard of the Year for 2002-2003. Each year, Tam honors a Crossing Guard of the Year. Today, I'm proud to honor Alice Yan, who has been a Crossing Guard at Throckmorton and Old Mill in front of Old Mill School since 2016 and has never missed a shift in the last 16 plus years. Wow. Alice came to the United States in 1991 and has been a Mill Valley resident since then. I'm pleased to also note that the school is near and dear to my heart as my children attended Old Mill, as well as um, the children of uh, Supervisor Moulton Peters. Um, and, and so did I. I attended Old Mill. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, that's good. Um, the Old Mill School is a school that's near and dear to many people's hearts, <laughs> which makes this award special. Alice, on behalf of the TAM board and our community, our teachers, staff, our school children, I'd like to express our deepest appreciation uh, for your profound dedication to keeping our school kids safe. We are happy to present you with the plaque of the TAM Crossing Guard of the Year. Thank you for your dedicated service to the children of Marin. Your work as a crossing guard has made a difference to countless students and families in the community. We appreciate your commitment to safety, your caring manner, and your welcoming smile. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I believe Supervisor yeah. Walton Peters. Alice would Alice Lee would Alice care, for, care to offer any remarks or? Uh, um, I really appreciate uh, for being nominated to be uh, crossing guard of the year. Um, I'm Chinese. I don't speak good English. Thank you, everybody. We'll now move on to item number three, which is uh, our uh, Metropolitan Commission, Metro uh, Mern Transit and Sonoma transit reports. We'll lead off with our MTC report from Commissioner Moulton-Peters. Great. Um, short report tonight from yesterday's meeting, but two interesting items. Uh, one, uh, top of MTC's list, uh, and probably everybody's in the Bay Area, is, is funding for transit uh, going forward. And um, there are hearings going on now uh, at the Senate and Assembly 
and still trying to figure out how to fund the fiscal cliff gap. Uh, where it isn't all solved yet. There is some funding that's going to be reallocated uh, from capital projects. Uh, that additional money that came in from a state surplus that we had last year. Uh, but there is a much larger gap still to get filled. Uh, so stay tuned. It's just going to be interesting all the way to the end. Uh, but we can't let transit fail here in the Bay Area. It's one of our hallmarks. And then separately, on a housing-related um, item, uh, there is a fund source I've learned about called Transit-Oriented Affordable Housing, otherwise known as TOA Funds. Thanks for the notes, Anne. And let me just, I'm just going to read uh, some notes. This is a revolving loan fund that MTC had set up some years ago to help finance affordable housing projects, uh, which it still will do. But the staff proposal, which we approved yesterday, is to revise the program and also create a $5 million new pilot program focused on rental assistance for seniors and disabled people to um, prevent them from falling into homelessness. So it, I think, is a really great uh, use of these funds, and we did approve that. And um, for details in the future, and perhaps you can help us uh, explain it as it as it comes into being. But anyway, senior and disabled rent uh, supplement funding. Okay, and that's my report. Thank you. Thank you for that report. We now turn to Commissioner Rice for the Merton Transit Report. All right. Thank you. Um, so a, a quick update. Um, I think the primary news coming out of Marin Transit is we made a number of changes to our Marin Access programs. I'm not going to go through all of them um, today, but basically after um, a lot of review and analysis of ridership, um, analysis of costs and where we were having challenges in terms of meeting service demands vis-a-vis um, -vis drivers, et cetera, and then outreach to um, the ridership on our various Marin Access programs that are Primarily are designed to serve um, our older adults and people with disabilities. Um, there were several. She didn't take the class at Old Mill about how to. Anyway, ultimately, um, so. Um, many changes, well-informed, well-communicated to uh, Marin Transit riders, and ultimately these changes are going to result in a net reduction in annual costs of about $230,000, and at the same time provide more flexibility and reliability for our riders. Um, the other important item um, coming out of Marin Transit is with regards to um, our uh, strategy in getting to zero emission, uh, a zero emission bus fleet over time as required by CARB. The plan calls for all of the 81 buses in the Marin Transit fleet to be zero emission by 2040. Currently, Marin Transit has six battery electric buses operating in the county. Um, our biggest challenge in meeting um, our goal for complete electrification is lack of sufficient parking, charging, and a maintenance facility. We have been on the hunt for a maintenance facility for seven going on eight years now. Um, really a challenging issue for Marin Transit. More to come on that. An additional challenge here in Marin is the range of battery electric buses. Buses in, on the West Marin routes travel over 300 miles on hilly remote terrain, and, and uh, the current uh, buses that are out on the market, electric buses, don't meet that requirement. 
Um, all in all, it is estimated it's going to cost Marin Transit about $73 million to convert um, the rest of our fleet. And this excludes the cost of the necessary real property acquisition. So we will continue, the, the district will continue to take advantage of available grants and funding opportunities and working with colleagues on the board of Marin Transit and this board and through uh, TAM to uh, meet our goal. But we have challenges ahead and I I promise to keep you updated. Thank you, Commissioner Rice. We'll turn to Commissioner Lucan for the SMART report. All right, uh, just two quick updates from SMART. Uh, number one, uh, on ridership, uh, every indicator is trending in the right direction. Uh, we set a couple records just this past week, surpassing 15,000 riders uh, in a given week for the first time since the pandemic, and also set another daily ridership record. Uh, for the fiscal year, uh, the goal was 594,000 uh, riders, and we're on pace to break that uh, about mid-June and surpass it uh, for the fiscal year. So uh, really good reports with regards, with regards to ridership. Uh, in fact, uh, SMART overtook the number one spot uh, on that, on that famous bar chart we may have seen for uh, number one ridership return amongst transit agencies in the Bay Area. They were number one in March and are expected to be number one in, in April and probably uh, May as well. So all good, good progress there. Uh, second update, uh, in coming on June 12th, there's a soft launch for Smart Connect, which is a micro transit on-demand service, uh, purely or initially just around the airport station uh, in Santa Rosa. Um, so not maybe specific for us here in Marin, but for those that are utilizing it to uh, get to the airport or surrounding businesses there, that will be going live on June 12th with a soft launch and a, a ribbon cutting ceremony on Friday, June 16th. It's a pilot program. If successful, it could be a model in trying to solve some of the first mile, last mile uh, connections uh, around smart stations. So uh, more to come on that as we uh, launch that service and learn a little bit more about it. That's the smart report. Thank you, Commissioner Lucan. Seeing no questions from my commissioners, fellow commissioners. Jennifer, any public comment in the room? Uh, no. Any online? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you. We'll move on to item four, the executive director's report. Ann? Okay, thank you, Chair and commissioners. Good evening. Um, while Jennifer pulls up the slides, I do want to bring your attention to this lovely document, which you should all have, and there are some additional copies over on the table there. So this is the annual report from 2022. You all approved this a couple months back, and it's actually been available online on our website, uh, but we did just receive the limited number of hard copies that we are ordering nowadays, and uh, so I wanted to share that with you, and it contains highlights of um, TAM and partner activities and investments over uh, the 2022 year. This is produced in cooperation with our Citizens Oversight Committee, and uh, we get quite a lot of use out of this. So um, always welcome feedback or suggestions after you get a chance to take a look at it. So moving on to the slides, a few other things to update. You can go to the next slide, please. So uh, as some of you experienced last week, uh, Bike to Work Day was back in full force and um, TAM, MTC and the Marin County Bike Coalition uh, greeted over 100 cyclists at uh, the Energizer station located at the base of the Central Marin Ferry Connector Bridge. Uh, this is the eighth year that TAM has sponsored a booth at the event and uh, we look forward to doing so again in the future. And as you can see in this picture, we were visited by some familiar local celebrities during the, um, the tabling. 
Next slide. Um, we talked about this some months ago, uh, but just a quick update that we are continuing to work on the local road safety plan in partnership with the County of Marin. And the intent of this plan is to provide an analysis of our roadway network, identify high risk locations and collision patterns, and also identify uh, both low cost and longer term countermeasures that can be used to address key safety issues and um, help secure grant funding to do so. This effort is also planning to develop a vision zero policy that can be used and adopted by all of the jurisdictions to promote roadway safety. Um, I'm bringing this to your attention now for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that we expect it to be complete in the next couple of months. So we will be bringing it to uh, back to this board. Um, and the second um, has to do with a funding program that I'll mention later uh, that this type of plan is related to as well. So although we're not done yet, I thought it was worth uh, mentioning that this is in the works. Next slide, please. Um, so as you may have seen in the written report, uh, it is EV summer and there are a few events coming up that Tam is involved in. Um, so on June 27th, we will be hosting a first responder EV webinar with the Central Marin Police Authority, where they will share their experience with converting their vehicles to electric, and uh, we'll also provide some information for other first responding first responder agencies um, about uh, different kinds of fleets and case studies and how the work um, can be integrated with TAM's EV rebate program as well. Then um, at the end of June and through July 4th, TAM will be supporting an electrification showcase at the Marin County Fair, um, along with um, MCE and uh, the County of Marin and uh, some other interested partners. And uh, this will have different models of EVs, information about batteries and the grid, uh, an interactive map of charging locations, and uh, as folks know, usually about 90,000 people visit the fair. So uh, we expect this to be a pretty significant event. And then still a little bit in the summertime, uh, September 12th, we are putting together a clean fleet expo at the uh, Marin Civic Center fairgrounds. And this will be for public agency um, and private sector fleet managers. This is the first time an event like this has been held in the North Bay. We have a lot of interest from agencies outside Marin as well. Um, so fleet operators would have the opportunity to explore different types of alternative fuel vehicles and chargers, uh, learn from peers and experts in the field, and um, kind of get a sense for what they might be able to do with their fleets. And this is really intended to go just beyond passenger vehicles and into more kind of specialized and uh, medium and heavy duty vehicles that are starting to become available. So uh, we do. We would encourage folks to register for this, and the registration link was in the written EDR. Um, also related, but too much to fit on the previous slide, the countywide EV acceleration strategy that we've been working on um, is rolling out now. So it has been finalized. It's being presented to the local jurisdiction councils. Um, so far, we're aware that Corte Madera, Larkspur, Sausalito, and Tiburon have received presentations on this. And uh, we expect uh, Mill Valley, Fairfax, and San Anselmo to come up in June. So the, uh, the plan is that all the local jurisdictions will receive presentations and um, if so inclined, take action to commit to various strategies in this plan. And then uh, after that, we will bring it to the TAM board for consideration. 
Um, TAM was a funder of this plan and we've been pretty heavily involved in developing it as well. It is available online for review. Next slide. Um, so turning to a little bit of partner news, um, did want to mention that the Marin County Flood Control and Water District is beginning work on the Marin City Stormwater Plan. Um, this is related, uh, among other things, to some work that TAM is involved in with the county and Caltrans on flood mitigation projects for um, certain roadways in Marin City. Uh, this particular plan aims to develop a public stormwater infrastructure plan that will guide implementation of future projects. And Marin City community input is expected to play a really significant role in the development of this plan. Um, so a community meeting is scheduled for June 1st, which would be followed by an optional walking tour to identify flooding hotspots and allow community members to share their thoughts about how flooding impacts the community. So kind of a um, interesting um, and a little bit different type of community meeting with the tour following. Uh, some transit news. So Supervisor Rice and Supervisor Lucan uh, provided a number of updates. Um, in addition to that, I just wanted to note that SMART's Starlighter train service operating later on Friday and Saturday nights uh, is available for trips to enjoy dining, entertainment, etc. in uh, the Moran and Sonoma areas. Um, starting on June 1st, uh, most of the North Bay Transit services, including SMART, Marin Transit, Sonoma County Transit, Santa Rosa City Bus, and Petaluma Transit, uh, will start providing free rides for kids and teens during the summer. I think they did this last year, and uh, it's a really um, interesting and, and impressive way for the two counties to come together to support kids. Um, on June 11th, Marin Transit will be implementing service changes that have been approved to go into effect on many of their routes, um, and the changes are intended to meet ridership demands and improve reliability. And then lastly, I did want to mention uh, somewhat related to what Supervisor Rice talked about with the Marin Access Programs. Um, there's a program called Connect to Transit that TAM has been running in partnership with Marin Transit since July of 2020. And that service is actually uh, to be discontinued at the end of June uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that um, the contractor, part of the contract that operates this service has to do with Uber and sort of a backend platform that they've been providing. And um, they have told us that they will uh, no longer support that service. So uh, the software that is used to run the, the Marin Transit portion of the service uh, would actually not be functioning any longer. So because that ADA service is discontinued, essentially the whole program has to be discontinued at this time. So um, Marin Access eligible riders are encouraged to transition to Marin Transit's new Catch-A-Ride program. Um, TAM and Marin Transit and Uber have all provided extensive outreach in the last uh, few weeks so that all riders that have utilized this pilot program have been notified uh, of its upcoming termination. Uh, we did provide uh, a bit more information on this to the uh, Funding Programs and Legislation Executive Committee this month, but I did want to mention it at this meeting as well. Next slide. Um, so on the state side, the California Transportation Commission last week approved an application submitted by MTC's Bay Area Infrastructure Financing Authority, or BAFA, 
for authorization to operate a toll facility on Highway 37 between Mare Island and State Route 121. Toll collection would not begin until near-term improvements are open for traffic, which is expected to take several years. Uh, in addition, bus service between Vallejo and Marin County needs to be established, um, and MTC is also developing a toll discount program for lower-income drivers. So all those pieces would need to be in place before the toll would go into effect. Um, and uh, the toll application was really intended to help manage congestion on the corridor and to generate revenue for both the near-term and the long-term improvements that are uh, planned for State Route 37. Um, attached in the EDR is the Caltrans monthly project and activity report. Uh, I did want to bring a couple of things to your attention. So one is that Highway 101 repaving is resuming. It was somewhat paused during the winter, uh, but starting May 31st, Caltrans intends to close uh, northbound lanes on the Richardson Bay Bridge on several nights. It's not a complete closure, but there could be up to three lanes closed um, for certain nights in May and into June. Um, and also some late breaking news that uh, we learned um, that Caltrans expects to do a lane shift for the Marin Sonomoneros project, uh, which would move the southbound lanes onto the new roadway that's been built in the median. Um, this work is tentatively scheduled for mid-June, so we are awaiting confirmation of dates from Caltrans, and I'm sure they'll get advisories out once that's all set. Uh, let's see, I've been providing some updates in recent months on these IIJA funding programs, and there are two more to note. Uh, one is for what's called the PROTECT program, Promoting Resilient Operations for Transformative, Efficient, and Cost-Saving Transportation. Um, so this uh, program in this round is offering $848 million to fund projects that improve the resilience of the surface transportation system, including highways, public transit, ports, and intercity rail. Um, the current date for applications due is August 18th. Um, the second program I wanted to mention is called the Safe Streets and Roads for All program. This is a discretionary program that funds regional, local, and tribal initiatives through grants to prevent roadway deaths and serious injuries. So this kind of goes back to the local road safety plan work as well in identifying those projects. Um, there's $1.2 billion available in this program this year. This is one of the biggest programs in the IIJA. And um, there were many grants provided both for planning and for implementation in the first round. This is the second round now. Um, and applications are due July 10th. So when we get these notices, Tam always sends them out to all of the local public works folks, and uh, we've been coordinating with partners to discuss potential applications. Uh, this is our monthly slide about upcoming and recent community events and meetings, and uh, it's been a pretty busy month, and uh, we expect that that will continue through the summer. And I believe that concludes the report, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Anne. Any uh, commissioner questions? Commissioner Carmel. Yeah, hi, and I'm curious about the summer youth uh, program, and I'm wondering if there's any reporting out at the end of the year on that program, for example, like the amount of uptake that the program sees with youth riding buses and the cost that is associated with that, how that's spilled out, so forth. 
I would imagine there is, and I'm looking to Marin Transit board members to fill in some details. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Carmel, yes. Um, extensive tracking, both counts, um, numbers, and cost cost um, incurred. And it's something that actually Marin Transit has been, ha has a year-round school program that um, provides um, free passes for every for, for kids under uh, free and reduced lunches throughout the county. And I don't know, the numbers are pretty astounding on, on the uptake on that. And we did the summer youth program last year and we had good numbers and that's why we decided to do it again and trying to align with that county, with the inner county work. So at the end of the season, does MTC give us a report or give you- We will give, we, Marin Transit will have a report. We can bring it back here. That would be awesome. Thank you. Any, Commissioner uh, Catrano? Yes, thank you. Um, thank you so much, Anne, for the robust report as always. Uh, one quick question, since it's been in the news, um, the CTC uh, tolling, um, say the booths go up and things like that, what, what you're saying is it will be years still before anyone on either side is going to start like being tolled on that part of State Route 37 because it's going to require bus service, the, the waiver program for low-income folks and all of the interim uh, construction to be done prior to the tolling. So it's still years away. That is my understanding, yes, that the tolling would, would only start once that near-term project is constructed and operational. Okay, thank you. Any additional commissioner questions? Seeing none, Jennifer, any public comment online? Yes, Warren Wells, please unmute. Hi, Commissioners. This is Warren Wells uh, with the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. I just want to thank uh, TAM for their sponsorship of our uh, Bike to Work Day Energizer Station. I was stationed down at the Golden Gate Bridge, so I didn't see anybody um, on this board this time, but maybe hopefully uh, next time around. Uh, but I really appreciate the participation there. And also, I just want to give a special nod to uh, TAM Sever Bill Whitney and, and TAM in general for inviting MCBC to be on the, sorry, there's a baby in the background, to be on the technical advisory committee for the local road safety plan update and for TAMS um, moving forward with the Vision Zero uh, declaration as part of that plan. Really appreciate that. Uh, very important work. Thanks. So thanks a bunch. That was my comments. Thank you for those comments, Warren. Jennifer, any additional public comment? Uh, there's no additional public comments at this time. All right, seeing none, we'll move on to item number five, open time for public expression. Open time for public expression is up to three minutes per speaker on items not on the agenda that are within the subject matter of the agency's jurisdiction. While members of the public are welcome to address the board under the Brown Act, board members may not deliberate or take action on items not on the agenda and generally may only listen. Jennifer, any, any public comment online? I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair. Thank you so much. We'll now move on to the consent agenda. And before we take it up, I'm going to turn to Executive Director Richmond for a few uh, opening comments. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I just wanted to briefly mention that we did receive two comment letters on item 6B, which is the budget which we distributed to you all. Um, I do want to note that today's action is not to approve the budget. We are just releasing it for public comment. Uh, it's actually been on our website for a couple of weeks and was considered at the May 8th Executive Committee meeting as well. 
Um, so I would say that, you know, we would respond to these comments and to any others that we receive uh, in time for you to consider finalizing the budget in June. Um, and just briefly, if I may, on the alternative fuels program, which is the subject of the two letters, um, we do budget to the needs expected for the program. So it's based on our understanding of the rebates that are in the pipeline, uh, current contracts, expected outreach events, et cetera. And if more funding were to be needed during the year, uh, we would return to the board for a discussion on that. Thank you. Thank you. Jennifer, do we have any public comments? I don't see any hands raised at this time. All right, seeing none. Any comments or changes requested from my fellow commissioners? I'm happy to move consent. We have a first from Commissioner Catrano. Second. Second, Commissioner Fredericks. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Farag? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Kenitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? Yes. We'll now move on to item seven, acceptance of the Safe Routes to School Program Evaluation Report. This is an action item. And you're gonna lead off before we turn it over. Yes, just a quick word of introduction here. Um, so as I'm sure you all know, TAM provides the funding for the Safe Routes to School program throughout the county, and uh, we contract for uh, those services through a team. Um, the team performs a regular summary evaluation of the program every three years, and they're here tonight to provide highlights from that most recent evaluation. So I'd like to introduce um, David Parisi and Jen Schreiber and Gwen Fro. All yours. Uh, thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. I'm David Greasy with Greasy Transportation Consulting, and we're um, very happy to be here tonight to give an overview of the last three years of the program from uh, school year 2019-2020 through 2021-2022. Um, and am I running the, pro the, the PowerPoint? Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> We do have a uh, short presentation uh, tonight that I'm going to give. Excellent, next slide, please. Super, um, during the, the last year of the three-year period that we are uh, presenting tonight, 55 schools participated in the program. The number of schools has remained relatively steady over the last few years. Um, with the exception of during the COVID-19 pandemic when there was a reduction in the schools participating, mostly at the high school level at that point in time. Um, we also have um, about 88% of the public elementary schools participate heavily in the program through education encouragement programs, 100% of the middle schools, public middle schools and 50% of the high schools. There's 39 private or independent schools in Marin Two of those were heavily uh, embedded uh, within their schools. Most of the others have um, students that live far away, dry, are driven to school or take buses. Nonetheless, we continue to work with and offer our services to all the independent schools. As a matter of fact, uh, over half a dozen we've worked with in the past year alone, 
helping develop travel demand management plans to lower uh, traffic congestion and encourage walking, biking, and bus use. Next slide, please. Here's a map that is shown in the evaluation report showing the uh, breadth of the uh, 55 schools that we've been involved with uh, in the past year. New schools, by the way, just in the last year include uh, Nevada Charter School and San Rafael High School, where we're making uh, major inroads uh, at those schools as well. Next slide. I'm going to turn it to, to Jen, and I'll be back in a, in a few minutes. Jen's our deputy program manager who's running a lot of the data analysis, and uh, we'll fill you in on some of the successes of the program. Yeah, thanks. Um, so to start off, I want to talk a bit about um, Safe Roots as a data-driven program. So we incorporate data in a number of different ways um, into the program. Um, first off, we conduct student tallies twice a year. Um, these are in the classroom to gauge students' transportation modes. And this um, image at the, uh, the top um, is an example of how we're tracking the modes over time at each school. Uh, we also do caregiver surveys. So in May of last year, a caregiver survey was released um, at a number of schools, and these are targeted at parents to assess um, their students' participation, as well as attitudes and any program opportunities. Um, these surveys are given out um, virtually and on paper in both English and Spanish. And um, with our last survey, we got over 2,000 responses from elementary, middle, and high school caregivers. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those results in a bit. Um, we also have been developing dot maps, and that's that lower image um, on the slide. Um, and these are in participation with um, schools who have agreed to give an, uh, anonymized data that we then map out. And we can use these to determine um, program priorities by seeing which schools have high percentages of students who live within walking and biking distance. Um, and then lastly, as part of our three-year evaluation, uh, we assess all schools on primary green uh, factors and their effects on travel modes. And I'll talk a bit more about those in a minute as well, but they include things such as green infrastructure, um, busing, administration, participation, um, and things like that. Next slide, please. Um, so this map here is also from the report, and it shows uh, the average over three years of uh, the percent of trips at each school that are green trips. And just to provide some foundation, when we say uh, active green trips, this is anything that requires sort of physical activity. So it's biking, it's um, walking, rolling, anything like that. And then green trips encompasses active green trips plus shared modes. So taking the school bus, public transit, or carpooling. Um, so during the uh, 2021 to 2022 school year, 51% of trips were green trips, and 32% of these used an active mode. Um, out of the 55 participating schools, 44% had green trip commute rates that were greater than 50%, and eight schools, which is 15% of the participating schools, had green trip rates that were higher than 65%. Um, next slide, please. Um, so as I've said, we've been tracking the, um, these over the years, and here you can see um, a chart that shows the percentage of green and active green trips over time, and this is for the entire county at all the schools where we participate. Um, so you'll note that the percentage of green trips has largely stayed the same, and this is really um, sort of a success that we can point to because over this time we have been adding a number of new schools that have um, been sort of brought up to speed to keep this rate where it is. Um, and also every year we've been teaching new students as some students graduate and new students come in. 
Um, it's also interesting to note that there have been mode shifts due to the pandemic. So you can see over time that that darker green bar that represents the active green trips has been steadily increasing. Um, and especially it got a little bump from the pandemic as parents and students were more likely to choose active modes that allowed for greater social distancing. Um, and one of the successes of this program is that um, compared to 2015 to 16, in the previous year, um, looking at elementary and middle schools alone, we've been able to decrease 4,500 daily family trips um, just through this program. Next slide, please. Um, so this slide just shows a comparison with some other county programs. So how are we, how are we doing and how can we gauge ourselves uh, against other counties? Um, you can see here that Marin County um, compared to Sonoma and Alameda County has greater percentages of active green trips as well as total green trips. Um, and it's important to note that Alameda County, these statistics do include more urbanized areas where students might live closer to school, uh, might have more access to transit or other means. Um, so compared to other, other counties uh, in the region, we're doing quite well. Next slide. Um, so I had mentioned the uh, green trip factors, and so I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit here. Um, so as part of the evaluation report, we evaluate all of our participating schools to analyze the effect of these factors on transportation choices. Um, and green trip factors can sort of fall into two buckets. So they can be sort of school involvement. So how involved is the administration? Is there an active team leader? Um, are the schools having education and encouragement programming? And then they can also fall on the more geographic or infrastructure-based side of things. So what is the infrastructure like? Uh, does it facilitate walking or biking? Um, are there school buses? Do a high percentage of students live near the school within walking distance? And are there crossing guards present? And we really see that schools with the highest rates of active trips generally have um, all of these factors or, or a good abundance of these factors. Um, so an example of this would be Bahia Vista Elementary School, which has 69% of active green trips. And this school has high levels of education and encouragement programming. It's located in a walkable and bikeable community where students on average live just over a half a mile away. It also has a number of crossing guards. Um, so there's a number of factors that really contribute to success. And while some of these are things that are more well, easy is relative, but more easily addressed, such as fixing sidewalks or putting in bike lanes. Um, other things are um, sort of less within uh, the control of the program. Next slide. Um, so there are also a number of barriers that we've been assessing, and this is where the caregiver survey comes into play. Um, several questions that were asked to the caregivers uh, centered around barriers both in infrastructure and sort of non-infrastructure. So we wanted to see why people uh, were not having their students walk and bike to school, particularly when they lived within walking and biking distance. Um, and we really got a good insight into these barriers that you can see here. So some of the top infrastructure barriers are things like speeding cars, dangerous intersections, lack of bike lanes and continuous sidewalks and crossing guards. And then there's a number of non-infrastructure barriers that are sort, sort of more around parents' perceptions. Um, you know, if they think that walking and biking takes too much time or a lot of people drop their students off on the way to work, so it's just more convenient. Um, weather can play a factor. Sometimes parents just have younger siblings and that makes walking and biking with the older ones difficult. Um, so there's a number of things that really contribute to um, the, the rates of active transportation and shared transportation to school. Um, 
And I'll also point out that distance from school is quite a factor. Uh, we've seen a really stark correlation between active transportation and the distance that students live from school, especially for elementary and middle school students. Um, next slide, please. <clears throat> So as part of the evaluation report, we did an analysis to look at Safe Routes effects on vehicle miles traveled. Um, and we found that Safe Routes has resulted in a reduction of VMT by encouraging shifts to other transportation modes. So this analysis uh, looked at elementary and middle schools only. Um, we excluded high school because we didn't have the granularity of data to really figure out how exactly everyone was getting to school. Um, and the analysis was also completed using the student address data that we had obtained from participating schools. So we were able to get address data from, I believe, uh, 52 out of the 55 participating schools. And we found that compared to the 2015 to 2016 school year, um, we were seeing a reduction, a daily reduction of 4,500 family trips and a daily reduction of over 9,400 daily vehicle miles traveled. Um, so this is a really big number, uh, super proud of this. And we were seeing, um, as you can see in this chart, that it really uh, depends on the district, um, how much of a reduction we're seeing. Um, San Rafael and Mill Valley were leading the pack, as you can see here, almost 2,800 BMT per day were reduced compared to 2015-16 for San Rafael and 2,300 BMT for Mill Valley. Uh, we only saw two districts in which there was a slight increase. Um, and for example, with um, with Sausalito and Marin City. Um, we know that some of this was to do with the uh, school consolidation. And while actually we were seeing um, progress in more students using active modes, uh, students were now living further away. So um, that was affecting those results. But overall, um, we're seeing a, a really big reduction compared to previous years. So it's a, a great sign. Uh, next slide, please. And I will turn it over to Glenn to... Uh, I'll go see the next couple. Hello. Um, the pandemic provided uh, for all of us a unique opportunity. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to say that as painful as it all was on all of us, we came out better and stronger as a result of it. One of the factors that we were able to do is reflect upon what our program provides our community. Going into the pandemic, we had three main objectives. One was to keep the visibility going in our schools. Secondly, to provide meaningful activities along with the education to keep kids moving and safe. And third, to retain our own staff. So even though we downsized in staff, it was important for us to retain our staff so that we could relaunch the program once we were able to do so. Though being a turbulent time, and that included a significant change in administration, drops and changes in teachers and drop off in our parent volunteers, we were ready to go as early as March of 2021, when the supervisor of education reached out to us and asked our instructors to join their teachers in getting vaccinated at school for to be allowed to teach classes at school. In October of 2021, even though parent volunteers were not allowed on campus for the most part, we were able to host our International Walk and Roll to School Day because the, the schools perceived that this program would provide a sense of normality, normalcy, excuse me. Additionally, we learned new technologies coming out of this. Zoom became our best friend. 
We were able to do Zoom meetings for task force meetings. We now can do Zoom meetings with principals. So instead of going out to 55 school sites every year to meet with the principals, we can more efficiently meet with them over Zoom. Uh, we were able to revise our website during this time. We, we recorded all of our education programs and those are now up on our web, website. They have been translated into Spanish. And so that is readily available for constituents to refer to. We also allowed for toolkits to be developed, including one that resulted in the Arcacia street closure that still exists today. Next slide, please. Let's talk a little bit about the education program. As you can well imagine, we were not allowed on campus for a year, and we were confronted with the fact that we needed to make up for lost ground and classes missed during the pandemic. So we doubled down on our efforts last year. We taught 12,000 students last year. Now, in case you think that was a one-off opportunity, looked at the numbers this year, we're tracking to teach another 12,000 students again this year. Our education program includes us going out onto the school sites with a fleet of bikes and professional educators. Our curriculum is designed by a credential teacher. It follows California state standards. And we teach these classes with league certified instructors. This is the gold standard of education considered in the nation. Next slide, please. I know this is also near and dear to all of us and what is happening with e-bike education. And I will save more for that on the tail end and address your questions. But let's just say this, that last year in response to the community concerns and input from the task force meetings, our team came together and decided what is the best way that we can provide a service to our school communities regarding e-bike education. Keeping in mind, of course, that we already teach 12,000 students a year our education. Education on an e-bike is the same as education on a regular bike. So how do we address this? And one of the strategies we used to address this was to create a flyer that we rolled out in the back to school notices, cautioning parents about what they were getting into with buying an e-bike. Okay, this conversation will be continued, but that was our first attempt to spread the word of, this is a concern for your community. Your principals are on the front line. We used our principals to send this information out. And this is where we went with the program initially. Next slide, please. Let's talk a little bit about our encouragement programs. Now, I wanna put this in a context here. Our purpose, our goal at Safe Routes to Schools is to provide safe and healthy travel to and from school for all students equitably. Okay. We do a lot of services to reach this goal, but this is not the be all end all of what we do. Even though we host 350 welcome tables a year through Walk and Roll Wednesdays, International Walk and Roll to School Day, National Bike to School Day, and a bunch of teen programs that are initiated and by teens themselves. We additionally use this as an opportunity 
to leverage the program within the schools. These encouragement programs allowed us to go on site and have conversations with principals and the constituencies. So for an example, about five years ago, Phoenicia Valley approached us and said, we have a traffic problem. This is the principal speaking. We have a traffic problem around our school. Is there something you can do about it? Can you host more events? And tenaciously, we went out to try to do that. However, we did not see a change in their traffic problem. What we suggested to the principal at that time was to change the school policy to allow drop-off zones for kindergarten to second grade. And they had a significant, a, a wonderful remote drop-off location for the third to eighth graders. And that was policy that was enacted two years later, but the seed was planted through our program much like it was planted when we had discussions with Redwood High School about their carpool and parking policies. So going back to this encouragement events, during the last two years, we developed things such as the Buddy Up Contest, the Jedi Contest, the Pump It Up Contest, the Art and Poetry Contest, the Bike Week Contest. There's no uh, question in your mind why people call me the director of fun. <laughs> that is all to say, back on a serious note, that we provide multiple access from our constituencies to our program. So beyond the welcome tables, we want to engage the broader community and provide recognition programs for our students, and we are successfully doing so. Next slide, please. As with all schools, can you skip this one, please? One, one, one more, thank you. Uh, as with all of our schools, we try to meet the students where they are at. And uh, that is very prevalent and relevant in our underserved communities where we really work diligently on the equity factors of the program. So uh, about eight or nine years ago, we hired a bilingual coordinator and she has initially, she worked with four schools to try and implement encouragement programs. It was met with varying success. And during that time, we realized that there were many cultural differences than what was going on with many of the other schools. One being it's, a, it's not a, a considered um, a viable option to volunteer in schools. It's just not in a cultural uh, frame of reference for many of these Latino families, excuse me. So what we did was we, in partnership with the health department, we decided to uh, take some money and give the volunteers a thank you stipend for hosting our welcome tables. Mm -hmm. That allowed us to expand from four to six schools and in this last year, the health department has extended their grant for another year to $10,000 serving these 10 elementary schools. That is significant. Our bilingual coordinator works very diligently to establish trust in these schools. 
So she goes to the Charlotte cafes to give presentations on the benefits of active travel, keeping in mind that many in these communities have vying uh, uh, challenges that they are faced with beyond doing the active travel to school. Uh, I just, uh, one last thing to point out is that we have with other partnerships uh, met the needs of our constituents in, in terms of equity. We noticed that many of our families in these schools could not afford helmets for their children. So in partnership with, for example, the Novato School District, we worked to fundraise and provide helmets for those students this past year. And I think that's it for me. Great. And I'm going to wrap up. Let's go back one slide. Sorry about that. We're just skipping. So Gwen is our uh, fun chair, I guess, <laughs> but also runs the education and encouragement programs, which are, are two of the six E's that are very important in the uh, in your city versus school program. Another one is engineering. Um, and we have a small team that works with all the city and town and the county public works departments uh, in developing concept plans and identifying potential improvements. Uh, within the three-year period that we're reporting tonight, eight projects, infrastructure projects got underway. 19 suggested route to school maps were developed in concert with all the different districts and parents and kids, really suggesting the best routes to and from school. Um, also using the dot maps that Jen was talking about previously. A number of innovations were uh, developed and put on the ground, for instance, and Larkspur, we saw some protected bikeways, protected intersections, Sausalito, traffic calming, um, a lot of bike, a lot of bike improvements, pedestrian improvements, signal phasing, sidewalk gap closures as well. We presented to um, the executive committee recently, and one suggestion was when all these projects are being developed or about to be implemented, to get the word out because there have been dozens and dozens of projects. And so we're going to work with the jurisdictions and TAM. To, to start doing that, to really identify, hey, these are these are safe routes to school improvements. Next slide, or two slides. Just we're going to skip that other one. Great. Another E is enforcement, and we work very closely with uh, all the police departments uh, throughout the county. Relationship building is very important. There's police representation uh, on all the task forces uh, that meet quarterly. Um, we also work closely with TAM's uh, crossing guard program. Last year was 101 crossing guards. We're also looking at ways to reduce the number of crossing guards that are needed by looking at intersection improvements to reduce the, the need for, or, or reduce the potential for conflicts between pedestrians crossing and cars. And we've been able to uh, identify seven intersections that have been improved over the years. So the crossing guards are no longer needed there because pedestrians and students get their own traffic signal phase for instance. Um, although it wasn't in the last cycle, three-year cycle, at the end of last year, we re, uh, repurposed, redeveloped the Street Smarts program. So that has new messaging that is targeted uh, at over 150 locations throughout the county. Every city and town and unincorporated county is involved in that program now. Uh, targeted messages at about six different behaviors are deployed twice a year. It's up right now was uh, earlier in the fall, we will be doing some evaluation to understand the effectiveness of what changes may need to be made over time. Next slide, please. 
So measure AA is uh, obviously is a half cent uh, transportation sales tax uh, expected to generate about 827 million over the 30 year period. Uh, about 3% of that is used for the safe routes to school program that we're talking about today. Some is used for safe pathways program, which is the infrastructure element of the program and some as well for uh, crossing guards. Um, and uh, 2018, the 2019, about $5 million in safe pathways funding was deployed for improvements in the fourth cycle of the safe pathways program. To date, $14 million of improvements, infrastructure improvements have been uh, made at I think 40 or 50 locations in four cycles uh, throughout the county. Uh, obviously, we need to get, start getting the word out about that instead of just having these silent, these things silently deployed. So we, we heard that loud and clear. Um, also want to uh, state that in the last in the last year, the program has supported um, grant applications through OBAG, ATP, and HSIP, totaling over $15 million worth of improvements that are uh, really focused on school-related enhancements. So we're happy about that. Next slide, please. So in the report, there's a whole bunch of recommendations that retain, relate to each of the six E's. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, to continue to provide and expand the education offerings that Gwen was uh, discussing, as well as promote equity in all aspects of the program, including bilingual program. We have more bilingual uh, folks who are working on the program, including engineers who are helping lead some of the walk audits. Uh, continue to uh, provide and promote successful encouragement programs. We will always uh, be looking at national best practices. We're heavily involved in that to improve bicycle and pedestrian safety. Uh, we're going to be continuing to look at the best practices for engineering as well. Marin is doing, I think, a great job through all your public works departments, developing really protected bikeways and, and walkways. Uh, and of course, we want to always learn lessons. What's working, what's not. Where can adjustments be made? And that's the, that's the uh, purpose of this report. Next and last slide, please. Um, as I mentioned, we met with a subgroup of you, the executive uh, committee, uh, and we heard we got some great feedback. First off, provides a little bit more detail about the work we're doing with private schools to see what more could be done. Reaching out, as I mentioned before, we we offer to services to all the private schools. Many are just because because they're being driven in or, or bust in, but nonetheless, uh, there's also some schools that are trying to expand their enrollment and they have to do tra transportation and management plans. We're offering our support there. Uh, also, better identify the recent infrastructure improvements or those that are ongoing. So I think that's a great idea. Maybe we need some signs out there. This is a safe route to school improvement. Uh, just get the word out, right? Um, Gwen talked about e-bike programming. Many of you are taking the lead on that. With your jurisdictions, we're here to support. And then also, what can we do to continue growing uh, the program? Uh, and um, we have some ideas there, uh, again, to get into uh, even further into some of the schools, particularly uh, some of the schools that may have um, some of the barriers that, that Jen was talking about uh, in Nevada or, or San Rafael. So um, that's, that's our goal. With that, I'll end it there and, and take any questions you may have. And Wendy Callens is here too. We, we, these are task forces. We'd be happy to answer any questions. Well, I'd, I'd like to thank you, David, Jennifer, and um, uh, the Minister of Fun, Gwen, was that you? Was that, for that for that uh, exhaustive presentation, we'll now turn it over to Commissioner Commons. Uh, Pat? Uh, okay, I guess the light is on. We'll move to Commissioner Katron. Oh, sorry. 
Oh, this is a shared mic down there. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That was me. <laughs> sorry. Uh, one of the questions for Ms. Fung. <laughs> Uh, you talk about 12, reaching 12,000 students to add out of what population? Is it 30? I believe it's about 26,000. Uh, yeah, about 30,000. Uh, I was wondering. That's very impressive, I want to say. Uh, can you go back to the engineering slide? No, the previous engineering one, the one that shows South Elysio and Bonaire. <coughs> Not sure how far is it happen. Yeah, there we go. In uh, looking at that photograph, this is a, a question that's been bothering me. Um, this is looking what westbound from South Elysio. Um, that middle bike lane, it seems awful narrow to me. And, and I'm just curious what the standards are on that, uh, particularly when we're mixing elementary school children with high school students on e-bikes now. Um, and is there a standards differentiate the ages of the bike riders using lane, adults versus younger children or children trying to ride next to their parents? You know, they try to ride tandem together and that that lane just seems awful narrow to me. And I have a same similar problem with the uh, northbound lane on Bon Air at the bridge there. Do you have that little bike lane right in the dead center? So they're facing oncoming traffic. And that might be appropriate for an adult rider or a high school student on an e-bike, but it just scares the heck out of me when it involves small children or children trying to ride next to their sibling, older siblings or an adult. Yeah, great question. The photo on the bottom left is actually on air uh, at Magnolia okay. in Larkspur. This intersection was uh, recently um, renovated by the city of Larkspur. We contributed to this. We used to have right turn slip lanes that were uncontrolled. Uh, those have been now controlled with traffic lights and repurposed. Those park shops are widened and converted into landscape areas where bicyclists can, can slide through without any conflicts. The bike lane you're asking about, which is the westbound left turn for, uh, from uh, Bonaire onto Magnolia, is about five or six feet wide. Minimums four feet is, is allowable. However, again, when we look at these intersections, we're looking at them for, for all users. There's also a class one or separate bike facility through here that most of the kids use. So this uh, this case is uh, that left turn lane is primarily for adults. But there's no way for, it's, but the majority of usage during school hours is kids. So how do we address that, that safety issue is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Is there a way? I mean, should we, not have these types of lanes near school, you know, crossings that are heavily school used because the kids are going to follow the older kids. You know, the younger kids are going to follow the older kids. That's just. Yeah, those are great questions. Those are things we'll be considering. You know, most of the kids that use this intersection on bikes are actually traveling along Long Magnolia, not making that, that left turn, but it's, it's something that was accommodated for 
uh, in this intersection. We'll always look for ways to do separated bikeways for, for kids as much as possible. Uh, in this case, also reduce the length of crosswalks. So the crosswalks here got reduced by about, um, about 35% in length. So it's really looking at how we can take an intersection retrofit it for pedestrians and bikes, including students. Uh, there's no perfect solution, but our, our goal is really to, to reduce the amount of conflicts. Okay. Uh, another question is the, um, in the report it says, given the small sample size of middle school responses, um, it, is there a plan to address that issue in the incoming studies on how to reach the middle school uh, caregiver survey? You guys like to, would like to respond to that? Because that's a real tough group because they're transitioning from not having to carry very much and we're wobbly on their bikes to, you know, the older kids. Yeah, and I would say that on that caregiver survey, definitely we emphasize uh, the feedback from the parents of the elementary schools. We are actually running a very robust program in the middle schools, not that we don't care about the data from the middle school parents, obviously, but our numbers are such in, in terms of the green modes of transportation are significantly higher in the middle schools. So it shows that we are doing very well there. Not that, again, not that we can't get better. And we do care about the input from the middle school students, but in terms of our outreach, and keep in mind this was coming off that tail end of that pandemic when we were asking for the survey to be conducted. Um, we prioritized the schools where we knew we could get the job done. Okay. I hope that answered your question. No, it does. It's just, it, it's, it's a transitional time for the parents too. It's when, Absolutely. You know, going from being so concerned about your younger child and you know, Absolutely. So I know it's just enough group. I was scatterbrained when my kids were in middle school. So I, I, I don't think that's changed over time, COVID or not. Uh, the other thing is I'm curious with the high school results. Are we, it's just something to consider. You may not have the data yet, but it's just it's the later starting time that's now mandated for high school students. Is that affecting? Uh, the traffic surveys? Uh, that's an excellent question and something that we really should be looking into regarding the results of this last survey, because we did not have programs in the high schools. We were not allowed on campus in the high schools. We felt that it wasn't warranted to do the survey because our we couldn't really test our results for the program during that pandemic time. But it's just it's a dramatic change. So but it is a dramatic change, and we should really look at that. Yeah, and particularly what concerns me is um, you would think it's going to help it with traffic, spreading it out a little better. But the reality is, is then sometimes the law of unintended consequences kick in. And so they might shift some what were previous after school activities to before school activities, which you know, then again, sets a whole new traffic pattern. So it's just something that worries me. Um, excuse me. Um, on the top infrastructure barriers, I, it, are those rated by um, the order of concern, the degree of concern, or is that just, those are the five? Yeah. 
I'm just curious, is there speeding cars number one or lack of crossing guard? Is that number five on their concern? Or speeding cars number one or is there? Yeah, so uh, speeding cars was number one. So for this question, the um, respondents were allowed to pick their top five um, infrastructure barriers. I believe there's a whole long list of, of um, at least 10 that they could choose from. And so these were um, speeding cars was selected by the top number of respondents, dangerous intersections, and then so on. Okay. So we weren't asking them to rank them, but just pick their top five. And then uh, what are the plans as far as uh, expanding um, e-bike safety classes in middle and high schools at this point? Do we have a plan or are we working on one? Because I know Mill Valley and I think Tiburon is now considering um, non-traffic citation ticketing of um, violators, shall we say, <laughs> younger violators. And so is there... Is there a chance to move that into a countywide program, both for education, but also enforcement? And that you, again, bring up a very astute question. Um, that is something that Marin County Bicycle Coalition is working on in their e-bike safety curriculum, e-bike smart Marin, excuse me, to partner with local jurisdictions to provide an after-school bike education now be mindful that the Safe Routes to Schools instructors develop the curriculum and are the educators for that program. So we are involved in that. Uh, the plan is to pilot it first in Mill Valley. They were the first to get out there with that diversion program. Uh, and we're hoping that it is a program that is brought countywide. Okay. That will be up to the local jurisdictions uh, to decide if they're going to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sure. Commissioner uh, Kemnitzer, do you have a question? Commissioner Katana? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, Gwen, Wendy, Jen, David, thank you so much. Y'all are superheroes for everything you're doing. I mean, 12,000 students per year and 9,400 VMT reduction per day is it's incredible numbers. So thank you. Um, two quick questions. One is a sort of follow-up on to Commissioner Carroll's comment on e-bikes. I'm curious, the um, Commissioner Carmel, you know, has been spearheading the initiative in Mill Valley and at White Hill in Fairfax, we have that mandatory program. I'm curious how that program has been received um, and if that is something that should be expanded outside of the scope of the sort of ordinance-based approach. Uh, possibly. Uh, let me just expand upon this for a moment. We can talk about what we have and what we don't have or what the opportunities are going forward. Let's be clear, we have bicycle education in this county. Uh, let's be clear that we have the in-house experiential classes that are taking place on campus. And we're very sensitive to the fact that even though we're teaching these bike education classes in the schools, we're not going to call out mm. those who have an e-bike versus those who don't. From us, a bike education is bike education. That's not to say that we don't talk about it in our classes, we do. Uh, Whitehill asked us to teach a specific e-bike education class to the students. Uh, it was a mandatory class, it was very short. What we discovered 
and this is the phenomenon with teaching teens, is that what goes in here, what they know here doesn't necessarily translate to behavior change. I can't tell you the number of times we've been on campus and we say, wear your helmet, stop at the stop sign. We get them all to do it. And then we watch them leave the campus uh -huh. with their helmets unbuckled, running through the stop signs. So if you're to ask me my personal opinion, whether those classes will continue to work, yes, some students will really get it after we teach them repeatedly. But the behavior change, which is what our program is specializes in, will come when we engage the students in that peer-to-peer -peer encouragement program. Everything else that we do, the diversion program, the Ross School, by the way, engaged students to create a video recently. It was very, very effective. That will be important as we expand, not just more education. Uh, the League of American Bicyclists is coming out with videos. They've asked us, by the way, to be the um, experts in evaluating that curriculum. But that is going to be more videos teaching what is already existing. So that behavior change component, which we are specialists at doing, needs to be a major factor when you're working with teens when teens have to outreach to teens <laughs> to get the behavior change, much like we did with our distracted driving campaign many years ago when we partnered with teens to have them create the videos and the messaging around the dangers, dangers of texting and talking while on a phone. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, very thorough. Thank you. It doesn't sound like... Uh teens at all to be receiving those programs in one year and then heading out on their bike. But um, uh, one other question I had relates to the equity program, which is really exciting. Uh, grateful to Marin HHS for contributing funds to make that expansion possible. Uh, I suspect that they're more like English, English language learners uh, or English as second language students and other schools. Do y'all have a sense of the right fit? In I mean, TAM as a board and as an organization is, you know, doubling down on, on equity work. And so I'm wondering, is there more that we can do at TAM to expand those programs, those bilingual programs uh, across the 55 schools that you work with currently? Are you referring to expanding it from an education encouragement port, port um I think, I think the, that's the opportunity that yeah, you foresee. That yeah, I'm guessing seeing it go from eight to 10 schools, but knowing that we have 55 schools that are participating, I'm just wondering, is there a path to having even more schools participate? Or are you hearing a need from the schools that we're partnering with that they would like for that to occur? Well, let me just say this, that we do translate all of our materials into Spanish, all right? And we do distribute it more than just those 10 schools, all right? So we, and we're very sensitive, uh, you know, we were boots on the ground, so to speak. If there's opportunities to bring Monica or other bilingual people in from our team to address those needs, we will do so. Um, and we will be responsive. We're trying to always be mindful of meeting the schools where they're at. So it is on the school to request us to for additional services if they need them. But as 
much as possible, we have the services there and ready to go. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Fredericks, did you have a question? I didn't. Oh. Uh, Commissioner Lucan? Uh, thank you. Uh, if we could go back to uh, one of the slides, I think it's the fourth or fifth slide that shows the travel mode shift summary. I think it's slide five. Uh, there we are. Uh, and I appreciate Commissioner Catrano's comments on equity and, and the work that we're doing, the bilingual coordinator, the, you know, getting helmets to, you know, kids that don't have them. Um, but when I look at, at this slide in this chart, I, I still see that there's a lot of work that we can do and, and work that needs to be done. Uh, I'm curious, when do we hit that tipping point for the schools that we're, we're not seeing that, that shift take place and recognizing, you know, we might not get the volunteer base there. You've got more, you know, single family households or dual working parent households. There's just, and, and even as you, you might get a good volunteer from time to time, and then, you know, there's their student ages out and, you know, they don't have the time to train the next person. You don't have that just organic culture that is built at some of the other schools. Um, at what point do you start to address it with hired staff or other ways to um, have that continuity and really start to see a shift, you know, the, the schools that uh, need, need a little extra? You know, I'll start that response, as you'll notice on, on the map, uh, particularly in Novato. Uh, for instance, you're not oh, seeing- Oh, you're right. You're in Novato. Yeah, yeah. You're not seeing as large uh, or dark of green dots. I mean, you're not seeing the same amount of uh, active green trips as uh, other places throughout the county. Jen mentioned many of the barriers uh, that we're facing. There's been a lot of consolidation of schools. Kids live further away from schools in Novato. There's more arterial roadways. We're seeing those barriers, and, and they're very real. Um, and we've actually graphed it out in the report. That said, um, a lot of these schools have had a big increase over the years in green trips. It's just they're not as big as maybe Central Marin or other places. Nonetheless, uh, we are focusing on those schools. We have some ideas for areas in Novato and Santa Rafael, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and part of that is to uh, get some, um, do some more student leadership within the schools. Uh, we think that's gonna be a very uh, successful program. Um, if we continue running the program, we wanna start doing that and pilot it in Novato uh, in the next school year and see how successful that can be, we think it can be. So we have some, some ideas, uh, but Novato is um, in, in other areas, some of the challenges are, like I mentioned, where students are living, some of the arterial roadways, some of the factors we can't influence, but what we're trying to do is those we can, we want to you know, build up those, those green trips as, as much as practical. Um, infrastructure is a big deal too. Uh, Novato and other locations have wonderful public works directors. Uh, we're developing concept plans, applying for grant applications and seeing some really uh, competitive opportunities. Is there anything you want to ask, add to that? All right, I, I appreciate it. I, I know I've seen this chart before, and and I'm sure there's some changes with, with within the bubbles. We don't have exact percentages. I, uh, if you do have the data behind each of these bubbles, I would be curious and and see, you know, are, are we seeing a trend, um, at least some growth? Um, but I, I do know that at a high level, it's this distribution has looked this way for a little bit of time. Yeah, in the report, every school is mapped out for the last 12 to 15 years by year, mm -hmm. showing the mode, the mode shift. Uh, there's notes if the school is closed down and it's been consolidated, kids now have to go three miles 
a way that's been noted in the, in the report as well. I'll, I'll dive into that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Commissioner Carmel. Yeah, thank you, David and team, for your tremendous work. Um, this is, as you say, the best performing program in the Bay Area. And um, you've done it with flat funding over many years. So thanks for your great work. So I just want to repeat for the uh, full board the discussion that we had in the FPL um, when we talked extensively through this thing and we talked through a bunch of different things. So the chair of TAM had a pretty choice quote in the report where he talks about the fact that uh, school um, students getting to school is the primary driver of local traffic. And I think that's really the case in most of our communities, I imagine, certainly the case in our community. And so um, we recently in our town had a community chat. You can come in, you can talk about anything to me and the city manager. And not surprisingly, the number one topic that people that kept wanting to talk about over and over again was traffic. I mean, we talked about a bunch of other things, but it was traffic over and over again. I think everybody here understands that. So you put those two facts together, school traffic is the, or school students getting to school is the main driver of traffic and traffic is the biggest issue facing people in the community. There's a really great opportunity for Safe Routes to School. Safe Routes to School is really the fulcrum uh, program for reducing traffic potentially. And so the question that we talked about in FPL is, what would it take to substantially improve this? Is it possible to improve this beyond where it is today? So you've got roughly 30% active trips what would it take to get this to 66, 70% active trips to really move the needle on this thing to really reduce congestion in our different cities? This might be the best way, the most cost-effective way for this board to really make an impact in our local communities. And I don't know what that is, but it would be a really useful discussion, I think, for this board to understand what it would actually take and what it would actually cost to do that. And I think that would be a tremendous next step on this thing to figure out what we really need to do. Is it all engineering, which is expensive, or is there a lot of education and encouragement um, that we can do to really move this thing? Right Amigos, we heard today in our Safe Routes to School um, presentation in Mill Valley is being rolled out among the high schoolers. That's really exciting because that's a great way of using software to increase um, active transportation to school. Um, I was asking a question about free bus rides uh, through um, Marin Transit. Is that something we want to do year round to get kids to ride the bus to school? And is that the inducement which they need? Because we've got bus routes in a lot of these areas and maybe just making it you know, flat out free is the way to get kids to get out of their cars and onto public transportation. So I think having that discussion about all the things that we could think about using all of the expertise that you guys have got over all of these years and the success of this program, I think is really um, the important next step on this program. Thank you. I think Commissioner Carmel sort of moved from question to comment, uh, but he was on a roll and it was it was valuable. So we're going to sort of now move to public comment and then come back to Commissioner comment. So Jennifer. Um, yes, Matthew Hartzell, please unmute. Thank you, Jennifer. This is Matthew Hartzell with WTB TAM, and I want to thank. Um, the whole Safe Routes to School team and consultants for the presentation tonight. This is a really important program and Marin is a really great um, success case in, in the country and, and kind of thought leader in, in the Safe Routes to School movement. And so um, I wanna thank personally, David Chan and David Parisi. We reached out to them a couple of weeks ago. We, wanted, we, were, we asked, could we see a list of that $14 million of Safe Routes, Safe Pathways projects over the years? And they actually 
um, they, they put together a list for us and it's a really impressive list. And we hope that uh, maybe they can share it with every one of you. So you can all see, I, I myself had noticed several projects on that list that are kind of things I've noticed and improvements in my community. I didn't even realize they were attributed to the Safe Pathway, Safe Roots program. Now I know, I think that there's a lot of, I, I realize there's, it's been discussed, um, doing more publicity to let the public know about the improvements Safe Roots is making, but I think more can be done. Um, I think it's it's important for people to know that safe routes to school are also safe routes for, for everybody. They don't, they, they benefit students and that's very important, but they also benefit the entire community because those same routes to schools are, are routes that connect everyone in our communities and, and people of all ages. Um, looking forward to it, Marin does really well and some schools do better than others in terms of percentage of active trips. There's obviously factors and constraints and geography plays a role, but more can still be done and infrastructure can really play a role. And there are still, there, there's been a lot of progress, but there's a lot of outstanding links in, in infrastructure and in our pathways networks, especially around certain schools and schools with greater needs. So I do encourage Tam to keep prioritizing um, find identifying those that are that'll be of the greatest value added and and pursue funding for those and consider a quarter cent sales tax just for safe pathways to school just for safe pathways infrastructure um, and and really show the public what what a great program and progress this is made thanks thank you Matthew Jennifer any additional public comment I don't see any additional public comments at this time. All right, let's bring it back here for uh, any commissioner comments on this. I just want to uh, thank you all for the report and the work and have, for having gotten so creative during COVID uh, and then also creative with uh, with um, what has been a relatively flat budget. Um, and with regards to CPI, I think that's one of the things we also discussed at the exec executive come meeting. My question and around that, I should have asked during questions, but um, so the expenditure plan, does it carve out a specific, does it identify a specific percentage for safe routes to schools? Can you remind us of the funding for that program? It does. So the measure AA half cent sales tax expenditure plan sets aside 3.5% for safe routes to schools. Um, there's an additional percent and um, give me a minute, I'll look it up for the safe pathways capital right. program, which is separate, but it's three and a half percent for safe so, routes. So I was, I'm, I was trying to remember what the increase in sales tax over time has been because the, you know, the, the, Revenues have grown over time and has been pretty consistent from year to year, except during the Great Recession and maybe 2020 or something like that. Um, and so I was trying to uh, align both the growth and the overall size of the pie and then the percentage that is goes that it has been fixed and goes to safe routes. And, and uh, you don't have to answer me now, but what's that delta between CPI, frankly, and the growth? Because I, I would have thought that the sales tax was keeping up, but maybe not. Well, I'd have to get back to you on how CPI compares to the sales tax growth. Um, I did happen to look up before this meeting in the original sales tax, the measure A, it was 3.3%. So there was a little bit of a bump going from A to AA in 2018, but not that much. Um, and since I've been here, um, the, the revenue did take a pretty significant hit in 2020, but it has definitely bounced back. 
And um, you may be caught in the slide presentation that the budget actually for the program is uh, was increased quite a bit this year and is proposed to be increased again next year in keeping with those revenue increases. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. And then um, this is maybe, though, another one of those areas that when we do um, part of the measure A, a redo allowed for a... Um, a look, a relook at the expenditure plan every six years. I can't remember what it was. Yep. And and these are the kinds of things we want to keep track of. I mean, we haven't. Um, Co Commissioner Carmel asked the question, "What would it take to to do that? Just that much more?" And of course, that needs to be answered. But um, it's really an important program, and it dovetails with. It's the infrastructure, it's the safe routes, it's the crossing guard program. It's Marin transit monies that go towards that are specific towards serving um, our school supplemental routes. Um, measure A, um, I think the hallmark of Measure A and AA in terms of the voters was about reducing traffic, um, and and pretty much everyone understands the school related traffic. So these programs are super important. We had the crossing guard discussion last month, um, but I just, um, they make a difference and we always want more to happen, but I keep on wondering what would happen if it all felt one away. What, 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 what would our streets and roads look like in terms of traffic um, if we didn't have these programs? But anyway, really appreciate the work you do. Um, and then my last comment, sorry to be so long-winded, is we have really benefited in this program from its inception, from staff, day from your folks who are really mission-driven and local and passionate about this work. And um, I think we're, we're, there's a value add there that maybe um, can't be um, quantified, um, but I, I think we the program benefits from it, um, from the people you have. So anyway, thank you. Any uh, additional commissioner comments? Commissioner Sackett. Yeah, just quickly, I would just want to um, give my thanks. I love this program from the bottom to the top. And the report I thought was really wonderful for anybody who didn't dig into it. Just the stories from people and the, I mean, I think to your comments, Dave, about the behavior change. And like that is when we talk about climate action, behavior change is one of the hardest things to tackle. And we can have flyers and we can have social media, but to get people to actually change their behaviors requires this multifaceted approach. And so the fact that we're at 50% is frankly, uh, really remarkable. So um, I appreciate all that you're doing and um, really just, you know, want to continue to support in, in any way we can and recognize it's not all, you know, about a dollars or an infrastructure project, but kind of bringing it all together. So thanks. Additional, uh, Commissioner Farr? Yeah, just one really quick comment. Thank you for the great presentation. Um, one thing I just want to say, I really appreciate the Santa Venetia example and your ability to recognize that something was not working and you were had the ability to pivot and find a solution. So um, that was just very impressive to me. So continue to, to you know, look, where are we being effective and where are we actually implementing um, change management? Uh, Commissioner Moulton-Peters? Uh, Moulton-Peters? Yeah, I want to pile on and add my appreciation to these same comments. It's It has been so fabulous to watch this program grow and evolve over time. I think I remember when there were only three or four E's, and now we have six. And those are the different levers and ways that we move the needle uh, on this program. I also 
um, like Rachel, want to compliment you for pivoting during COVID. I remember how very challenging that was when schools closed down and then what happens to school training. And then, oh, by the way, there were families starting to ride bikes more and the parents didn't really know how to ride bikes with kids. So we had to figure out, and you did, how to address it. So for me, Safe Routes is just ever um, refreshing your ways of doing business. You're always creating. I remember when the bilingual programs came on because we needed them to reach other schools. You mentioned the distracted driving uh, program when texting was new uh, and kids were texting and driving. I love how you incorporated remote drop-off areas. I remember that was a strategy. And also how you've worked with the health department and arts and really everybody. Uh, looking through your report, there's no one that doesn't get pulled in. Uh, <laughs> you're very opportunistic that way, and I think it's great. Um, I know that funding really is a challenge. And as I was listening to this whole new issue of e-bikes that was raised and the need for e-bike training, and I, I wanted to just suggest that we um, all... Uh, keep our thinking caps on. Uh, we might consider looking uh, with our state legislators for creating other sources of funding, uh, you know, with e-bikes manufacturing. Maybe there comes a, uh, you know, a dollar per bike manufactured to go towards training yeah. uh, for users. Anyway, I just think there's creative things that we can do the way we did with Measure B when we passed that. The uh, vehicle license fee gave us a $10 for each license renewed. So that gave us a bump. So um, anyway, I think I think we're always um, on the look and thank you for your ongoing success. Yeah. Any additional comments? I'll, I'll just make a few quick closing. Oh, Commissioner Bellastine, do you have any comments? I can't get my mic to <laughs> Please. I'm an enormous fan of Safe Routes to Schools and seeing you give this presentation that is so data-driven, which is actually quite unique in many of the reports that we hear sometimes in, in government. And it's so impressive to see that you're not only very committed to providing the best possible opportunities for kids to get to school safely, but you're backing it up with clear data to say this is where all of your funding is going and this is what matters. And to that end, in the, the uh, executive director's report, we heard about the Safe Streets and Roads for All grant, and I would like to invite my fellow commissioners to perhaps write a grant that would support safe routes to schools within the confines of that, because it sounds like you would more than qualify potentially, and I would be happy to work with our grant writers um, and with you in partnership and with anyone else to figure out how we might get more funding to you through that grant program, because we're just, I know we're all truly appreciative of everything that you're doing. So thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for all of your hard work. Uh, any additional commissioner comments? Seeing that, I'll just add a few closing remarks. I appreciate everybody's comments. Um, first, I'd like to thank the funding programs and legislation uh, subcommittee. We had a, a really robust discussion, and then I'd like to follow up and thank the TAM staff, Dave, you and your team, because it's it's a huge report, but there were any number of, there's a few data points that were added to the report in response to that. So I appreciate um, all that hard work, and thank you very much. I would like to um, call to attention Commissioner Rice's comments about the expenditure plan. It's never too soon to start thinking about that in ways that it might change as our um, communities change. So thank you very much for that. And then the third one is I would really like to thank uh, Commissioner Carmel for his comments. As I said in the report, you know, school congestion is sort of the biggest challenge we face. 
And so I think that sort of focus on, you know, what the large problems are are an excellent lead into what will be our next item for the countywide transportation plan. And with that, may I have a motion? I'll move the adoption of the report. I'll second. We have a first by Commissioner Second, a second by Commissioner Moulton Peters. Jennifer the roll. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Farrakh? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Kemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? I'm also a yes. The next item is the award uh, to award the contract for countywide transportation plan and community-based uh, transportation plan. And I know we've been at it for a while, but this is actually a, a pretty interesting and terribly important item. So I have a few opening remarks before we begin the presentation. So um, just to sort of level set where we are, the TAM board opted out of the congestion management program in 2022. The congestion management programs were born out of the 1970s to address congestion and air pollution from vehicular traffic. Over the last year, Marin County, cities, towns, and unincorporated areas have been working to accommodate pl uh, planned residential growth in our communities and the numerous economic and demographic changes arising from the pandemic. Some of the questions that have come up from this process include, how can we ensure our transportation systems can accommodate this growth? How do we balance existing needs and priorities on our transportation systems and emerging needs? Can we future-proof some of these investments? What will it take to deliver these improvements and what resources and partnerships will we need? This countywide transportation plan will help us set countywide priorities. Priorities that have been developed in the past, such as transit first quarters, completion of the North-South Greenway and the East-West Bikeway, regional commute connections, the hub studies, and others. New priorities will probably be developed through this creation process. The countywide transportation plan will define an implementation path that enables TAM to deliver high quality transportation solutions. The TAM board will have a critical role to play. There will be a CTP ad hoc committee. There will be three board workshops commencing in either September or October of this year and there will be regular board updates and presentations. In closing, personally, I consider the beginning of this process to be a seismic step forward for this board. TAM's focus needs to be to continue shifting away from building highways and focus on a future that is resilient and electric, and also embraces transit and active transportation networks to connect the entire county. With that, I'll turn it over to our executive director. Thank you very much, Chair. We always appreciate the uh, passion and the energy about our projects. And uh, as staff, we are also really excited to be launching the first countywide transportation plan for Marin. Um, the action before you today is just to award the contract for consultant support. So we are really at the beginning of the plan development process, and we will be returning throughout the 18-month process for discussion and guidance from you all. So uh, I would like to turn it over to Derek McGill for a presentation about the contract award. Um, thank you, TAM board. Uh, my name is Derek McGill. I'm the 
unfortunately not the director of fun, but the director of planning. Um, and I know not everybody thinks planning's fun, but I definitely do. So um, a little bit of background about the CTP. Um, in April of 2022, this board directed TAM staff to opt out of or begin opt-out discussions with our local jurisdictions uh, on the congestion management program and directed us to begin a development of a countywide transportation plan. That work um, began in April and proceeded until about August of 2022 when we notified MTC that we completed the opt-out of the congestion management program. Uh, we came back to this board in December and discussed a general scope of work um, for discussion and input on the county transportation plan. Um, and begin development of the RFP directly after that conversation. We released the RFP in March of this year, um, and um, we'll be working to form committees and working groups over the next couple of months. Uh, we are at the stage of retaining a contractor and seeking contract award tonight um, and beginning to launch this process. Um, over the next 18 months, we'll be looking at goals and visions, developing a system um, and the concept for building out that system. Uh, we'll be conducting a call for projects for uh, inclusion in this plan and then developing a co-benefits analysis to make sure that the projects and priorities of this board are um, delivered in a way that meets our goals. Um, we'll begin the implementation planning. What does that actually take to move these projects forward and strategies forward? Uh, and throughout this whole process, we'll be doing um, robust public outreach and stakeholder engagement efforts. Um, that should culminate by the end of 2024 with plan adoption, um, right in time for uh, a Measure AA expenditure plan review process uh, that was mentioned in the last item of the evening. Uh, so a little bit about the RFP process. We released this in March of 21st, uh, March 21st, um, and we requested consultants, qualified consultants, to develop a countywide transportation plan as well as a coordinated countywide community-based transportation plan as a portion of that countywide transportation plan. We also have an optional task that has not been authorized included in this RFP for a Marin City CBTP. Um, in case we um, there is a desire from uh, local agencies and the community to move forward with that process. Um, we requested all proposals by April 21st, and we received two qualified proposals from Fair and Peers and GHD Incorporated. Uh, from there, we formed an evaluation panel um, consisting of myself, uh, the Director of Planning at Marin Transit, an Assistant County Administrator, uh, Director of Public Works in Sausalito, um, and the result of that Evaluation panel was unanimous ranking of Fair and Peers as um, the first strength team. So we began contract um, negotiation process with them. A little bit about the Fair and Peers team. It consists of a number of very um, experienced and qualified subconsultants, including Civic Knit, uh, Convey, which will be leading outreach engage, uh, and engagement through this process, as well as KKCS or Cal Krishner Consulting Services and NWC partners. Um, we have completed reference checks for this contract, um, and we began um, a work plan discussion about how to proceed with the work um, and authorized an optional task as part of this, um, included in the package tonight for a countywide survey, online survey, as well as paper surveys where we're doing um, direct outreach to the community, uh, resulting in a not to exceed um, authorization requested tonight of $525,000. There's a DB goal set at this contract. It's 12%. And this contract team actually uh, grossly exceeds that goal. We're up to 31% with the additional task for the public survey. 
a little bit about the work. Um, there's a large amount of effort going into this process, um, starting with an existing and future conditions analysis. Uh, the majority of this is a planner view. There's 30 some odd plans identified, uh, the policies, the strategies, the performance metrics, and um, visions of those plans will all be reviewed and analyzed um, as part of this existing conditions analysis as well as our uh, data available from the TAM travel demand forecasting model to um, understand what the future conditions of the county look like uh, based on current objectives and our current investments and um, regional investments. From there, we'll move to a vision and a goal development process, um, which will also include potential plan strategies and how we measure performance against our goals and vision. Uh, and move to a countywide needs assessment process. This seems kind of jargony, but the idea here is that um, we will be reaching out and making sure that we know exactly what projects are in the pipeline for developing our countywide networks uh, and understanding where additional work is necessary to really develop the high quality transportation options that we're uh, tasked with delivering for the county. Um, this call for projects will be coordinated with the regional transportation plan process. Um, and from there, a draft plan will be developed. That draft plan will really be based on co-benefit analysis, making sure all of our investments are delivering upon the adopted goals of the plan, um, expected to be things like safety, equity, um, and climate adaptation type efforts. Um, that's all variable based on input from this board um, and our stakeholders in this process. From there, uh, the implementation plan will be developed to understand what it will take to actually deliver on this plan uh, and what actions are required. Um, that is no small feat um, given the, um, the intention of this plan to really make um, progress towards some of these factors, um, like I mentioned, of safety and equity. Um, and we'll be conducting stakeholder engagement throughout the process to build the partnerships necessary to hopefully deliver and implement this plan. Uh, public engagement will occur at key milestones. There will be things like uh, focused mobile uh, focus group meetings, mobile workshops to make sure we're getting um, information out to the community and hearing from the community that wouldn't necessarily engage at a town board meeting um, and being present in um, the day-to-day the -day of uh, our community's life. So with that, we're asking for our recommendation is to enter into contract uh, for an amount not to exceed 525. We'll begin kicking off the CTP process in coming weeks uh, with major milestones uh, and initial discussions really kicking off um, in September with stakeholder and board engagement. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions um, and I'll stop sharing my screen. Thank you, Derek. And uh, before we take questions, I'll just remind my fellow commissioners, we're actually not talking about the plan tonight. This is just a, a contractual uh, award. Mr. Blastein? Yeah, I, as a the representative from Sausalito, I was quite interested to see the optional task around Marin City CBTP. And I won't go into specifics of the plan, except to say, with regards to the contract, has that for the selected firm demonstrated an interest or experience working on CBTP specifically, and and did they suggest Marin City as the recommended location for that, or was it something that you had included in the RFP? Yeah, we have developed a Marin City CBTP twice, first in 2006 and then in 2015. Um, I believe both of those were developed by Fair and Peers, the consultant team. Uh, the reason we identified it as an optional task is in uh, agency engagement efforts, 
the Marin County CDA uh, expressed interest in potentially updating that plan to reflect um, some of the ongoing work and needs or evolving needs in that community. Uh, we still need to do further engagement with the community to make sure there is a desire to up that plan, uh, update that plan, um, and we have not had that chance to do so yet. So should there be a desire from the community and from DPW to engage in a process, um, we would then authorize that optional task um, at that point. Thank you, and thanks for your presentation. See, uh, is the light on? Is question from that end? Commissioner Bernoni. <laughs> Oh, all right. Oh, all right. No other commissioner questions. Jennifer, public comment? Online? Yes. Uh, Warren Wells, please unmute. Hi, commissioners. This is Warren Wells of the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. Um, actually, I think Chair Colbert st stole a lot of the stuff that I was planning to say about this, so I, I'll keep it short, but I just wanted to thank staff uh, and Tam for engaging in this in this. Um, plan. I think it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I think it's going to be a really nice, just, you know, in terms of the way I think about things in the active transportation world, it's going to be a really nice follow-on to the work that TAMSAP is currently doing with the status report of the North-South Greenway and East-West Bikeway um, that I was actually meeting with staff about today. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how we um, really develop that full network so that people can travel by foot and by bike around Marin um, as a first option without having to worry about you know, navigating challenging gaps along their way. So I thank staff and, and the TAM board for moving ahead with this, with this exciting project and look forward to working with you. Additional public comment, Jennifer? I don't see any additional public comments at this time. Thank you. Any commissioner comments on this item? Might I have a motion? So moved. I'll second it. First by Commissioner Blaustein, second by Commissioner Katrana. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Farrah? Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Kennetzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Rabazio? Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert? Yes. Passes. Our final item of the night is our continuing series of sort of TAM 101. It's the presentation on the regional transportation planning process and TAM planning overview. So if I may just say a couple more words of introduction. So Derek is going to stay up here for more fun. And uh, as mentioned, this is the latest installment in our TAM 101 education series. So you may recall a couple months ago, we covered capital project development. And uh, in a timely way, we are now moving on to planning. So we'll talk a little bit about what planning is some regional and state context and what TAM's role is. And this is just a discussion item, so there's no action here. Derek. Great, thank you for the introduction. Um, I'll pull up the presentation. Um, I'll kick us off with a definition, which is always a good move when we talk about wonky transportation planning topic. Um, we we look to the FTA for this definition. Um, 
there, it's written on the screen. I'm not going to read it word for word, but the key is that we are developing a cooperative process. Um, we want engagement from a wide variety of stakeholders um, and public um, to really define goals and define um, what we want to see on our transportation system. In practice, um, what that looks like is planning gets used in a lot of different ways. We, uh, as your planning staff here, we develop projects and programs. Uh, we conduct project assessments, um, typically land use or mobility reviews, um, and make sure we understand the impacts of the land use decisions on our transportation system. But we also do planning to support funding requirements, uh, whether those are policy or investment decisions. Um, or you know, future policy decisions. Um, transportation planners often are a supportive role in the, the work that our programming departments um, and our project delivery departments deliver. Um, we are instrumental and focused on building consensus in a lot of these efforts, um, and uh, that is no easy feat. Um, so with that, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the history of Marin County transportation planning. Um, there's, it probably goes back much further than the 1990s, but that's where we're starting tonight uh, with the development of congestion management program. Um, this was tied when the state actually passed the gas tax funding back in 1990 through Prop 111. Uh, and by 1993, this uh, funding was in place, which allowed for congestion management programs and congestion management agencies to be designated. In Marin County, that was formalized through a countywide planning agency agreement where the jurisdictions and the county uh, had a joint powers uh, agreement that would look at these five areas of traffic, housing, water, sewer, and environmental protection. Um, the, the way that worked was the DPW was responsible, county DPW was responsible for the CMP development, um, and the CDA was responsible for the development of the countywide plan. Um, and the jurisdictions provide an input to those processes through this arrangement. Um, in 2004, uh, when the Measure A sales tax pat was passed and the TAM agency was created, we were designated as a congestion management agency inheriting those duties from the uh, DPW. Uh, that countywide planning agency agreement um, expired in 2010, I believe, maybe 2011. Um, and we have been working uh, under the auspices of the Sales Tax and, um, Administration Authority and Congestion Management Agency um, throughout this process. We've developed long-range plans in the past. We've renewed our sales tax. Uh, and 2022 was a pretty pivotal year for planning where we opted out of the CMP process and we received direction to move forward to a countywide transportation plan. Uh, we still maintain our congestion management agency designation. We still serve those roles. We just do not create a congestion management program at this point. Um, a little bit of context for how we do transportation planning. Um, the state planning efforts are wide and growing um, and our relationship and what we monitor at the state level has grown as our purview has changed through the sales tax um, especially Measure AA. Um, we see a number of plans coming out of the state, um, specifically the California Transportation Plan and the California Rail Plan. These are very influential in state uh, investment decisions and how the state sets policy for their discretionary spending, but they are unconstrained. And this does create some tension with regional transportation plans, which do have to be fiscally constrained by federal law. Um, the California Transportation Plan and the California Rail Plan 
Um, they are uh, coordinated through a lot of these relevant state agencies, um, and they serve as sort of a focal point for transportation agencies like TAM to understand how the CEC and CARB rulemaking processes work and how they influence planning processes. Um, it's growing in what we have to pay attention to at the state agencies, um, Office of Planning and Research, um, and the, the CEC and the CARB uh, rulemaking processes have grown especially as it relates to electric vehicles, um, as well as things like adaptation planning as well. Um, more recently, we've had significant changes to um, project delivery uh, as a result of state implementation of vehicle miles travel policy, uh, where we're actually seeing CalSTA and Caltrans flag projects based on their risk for um, increasing vehicle miles traveled. Um, the Cal STA's Climate Action Plan for Transportation Infrastructure has grown in importance over the last couple of years since its adoption in 2021. They have 10 uh, strategies that are uh, really guide at this point the state transportation discretionary spending. They are shown in these uh, slides on the screen. And really what's happening with this plan is uh, the state's recognition that the climate action goals for the state are so ambitious that they can't actually be met with electric vehicles. They have to be met with the reduction vehicle miles traveled, um, regardless of 100% electric vehicle adoption at the state. So we have really, really ambitious goals for climate reduction and um, CAPT is pretty instrumental in um, advancing the transportation goals um, in addition to electric vehicle policies. Regionally, um, we have a regional transportation plan as required by federal legislation and federal reg uh, regulations, but we also have um, it's a joint uh, regional transportation plan with sustainable community strategy, which is required by state legislation, um, SB 375, which changed how we do regional transportation planning to include land use and housing to meet greenhouse gas reduction. Uh, SB 375 was passed in 2007, maybe 2003. Uh, and these efforts of transportation planning and land use and GHG emissions have been uh, intertwined since that legislation. In order to meet um, their 19% reduction, MTC has 35 strategies um, across transportation, across housing, across equity, um, our environment and the economy. Um, and that is basically a way of ensuring that this GHG reduction um, is done in a way that uh, has co-benefits across these areas. Uh, the reason we're highlighting it tonight is because they are launching the update to this plan um, in July and TAM staff are coordinating with MTC on some of the updated information to go into that plan as of this month. And we'll be continuing the coordination with MTC as they move forward in this process. They are also moving forward with a parallel planning effort, which is new for them this time in response to um, a lot of the criticisms of the last plan Bay Area 2050, but also the changing recognition of the role of transit recovery. And they'll be developing a, a regional vision for transit. Um, it's called Transit 2050 Plus um, that will occur in parallel effort to this regional transportation plan. Uh, we do have a very specific role in this. Uh, we are required to submit a list of capacity increasing projects. This is one of our major planning activities uh, in the regional context, um, we have very few projects that meet this definition. They're usually our highway capacity projects or transit capacity projects. 
Um, and so really a lot of our role is making sure that our local projects are reflected in these larger program categories uh, in the plan that allows all of our regional, uh, all of our projects at the local and countywide level to continue to access regional and state and federal funds. Derek, excuse me, could you define capacity increasing? Yeah, typically capacity increasing means anything that adds a lane of capacity on our roadways over about a quarter of a mile in this context. So they're required to go through a specific air quality conformity analysis and, to maintain eligibility for regional, state, and federal funds. Uh, the other capacity increasing projects outside of roadway projects are transit service increasing projects. Uh, new bus rapid transit lines, new uh, frequency service enhancements. Um, there's a magnitude um, beyond what's included in the short range transit plans that need to be identified and included in this plan uh, to maintain eligibility for those types of projects as well. Um, part and parcel to Plan Bay Area is this concept of growth geography. So as part of the sustainable community strategy, um, there's been a lot of discussion in this county around priority development areas, and these are areas identified by local jurisdictions that are centered around higher levels of transit service um, and are uh, growth areas that reduce reliance on automobiles um, from new development. So uh, these are developments that can move forth that uh, their residents are more likely to walk, bike, or take transit and not rely on single occupancy vehicles. Um, this is critical to our federal transportation funding because 50% of our OBAG funding is required to benefit these PDAs. Uh, and because of that, our last round of OBAG and ATP awards received 66% of the funds uh, to the San Rafael PDAs. They received $12.7 million out of the $19.4 million that was awarded to the county. Um, these PDAs are a sign of regional support and pretty much are advantaged in those all sources of competitive regional and state funds. Um, and so uh, they're pretty critical to how we're able to move projects forward and implementation strategies for transportation projects. Um, the reason we're highlighting this tonight is because there's a call for projects open for new PDAs. Um, they're due uh, to MTC in July of 2023. We've had initial discussions about potentially changing that timeline or moving that to a rolling call. Um, but the ultimately the ABAG executive board would have to make that uh, determination. New in this PDA process is a thing called priority sites. So if you have a housing element site that um, may not need a PDA designation, but may have implementation planning issues that um, funding would be uh, supportive of to make sure those are actually developable. Uh, MTC has developed a new program called Priority Sites that would be due uh, September 2023 um, to MTC to um, identify those locations. Complementary to these PDAs is something called the Priority Conservation Area. Um, those are areas designated for conservation, um, and MTC is currently going through a refresh process that TAM staff are coordinating closely with, given the uh, significance of conservation to our open space and natural recreation area, uh, natural areas and recreational areas. Um, and we also have something called priority production areas in the, the most recent round of Plan Bay area. We do not have any of those identified in the county. Those are areas um, for significant commercial or economic growth. 
Um, finally, the last piece of context within the regional transportation planning world is local jurisdiction general plans. These are plans uh, such as your circulation mobility elements of your general plans that many of you may be familiar with. They generally consist of goals, policies, programs, some plan mobility improvements, um, and there are defined um, elements uh, by OPR, the Office of Planning and Research, that includes what needs to be included in these plans. Uh, typically, they use a vehicle delay. However, OPR does suggest vehicle miles traveled be used due to co-benefits with safety and air quality um, in these general plans. Um, the reason they're important is because local improvements can have an impact on the regional system and vice versa. And so uh, they do become a coordination piece for regional transportation planning um, and ensuring consistency between the two plans is uh, a requirement of general plans. So now that we covered some of the context, I know that's kind of academic, uh, <laughs> but we'll talk a little bit about our TAM planning responsibilities. Uh, we are required by two major efforts, our CTA planning agreement with MTC um, to conduct regional planning uh, and coordination on regional planning topics. But we also have our measures um, that define what planning activities we're responsible for. Um, our programs, um, we also do a extensive amount of program management from Measure AA and Measure A and B. Um, and then we also manage our grant funded programs. Uh, a bark share program is an example of that. Uh, finally, where we have the capacity and where we have a direct role, we do local planning and coordination um, with all of your jurisdictions, the transit operators, and a whole host of agencies. Um, I do want to note that many of the hot topics in planning are identified on the screen, equity, safety, mobility, climate adaptation, and land use and transportation that never seems to really go away. Um, <laughs> so with that, uh, a little bit about the regional planning coordination requirements. We support regional planning and policy development. We're often a review party as MTC considers um, updates to these areas. We also do local policy compliance monitoring as required of regional funding sources, things like housing element compliance, our requirement of many funding um, conditions. There's also arena progress reports and making sure those are being submitted. Those are also important for federal funding um, compliance as well. We support reviews and development of upcoming policy and program development in a whole host of policy and program areas, such as OBAG, Regional Measure 3, our Transportation Fund for Clean Air. Uh, I don't know how many meetings Scott has to sit through on through the Bay Area Air Quality Management District related to that program, um, but we also monitor state funding programs as they come out and uh, work closely with our programming department here to understand what exactly is being envisioned for some of those state programs. Finally, we have to coordinate closely with Caltrans District 4. Um, there are sea level rise and adaptation plans in that uh, districts that are influential in Marin County. But there's also comprehensive multimodal corridor plans, which are a requirement for state funding. And we have update of the US 101 CMCP plan three times in the last five years to make sure we're eligible for funding on the Marin Stem and Arrows. Um, and then we have a District 4 transit plan coming up and a District 4 bike plan update underway. There's a whole host of regional planning initiatives on the screen, next-gen freeways, um, which is all lane tolling. These are all things that we regularly receive briefing on and provide input on on behalf of Marin County. 
so in addition to that coordination effort, we lead our own planning activities, um, primarily the congestion management program, now the county transportation plan. We do community-based transportation plans. We have updated all the local jurisdiction bike ped plans. We do corridor plans when we have grant funding to do so. We collect data. We develop a travel demand forecasting model. And we have two and a half full-time employees dedicated for planning. So we do a lot with that. Um, we're also stepping into equity planning, sea level rise, and our, we rely on our project delivery team to do things like interchange studies and getting those into the project development process. Uh, TAM measure programs are unique. A lot of measure programs go towards capital and implementation. Ours go towards ongoing operations and program implementation, which requires staff time and oversight on all of these areas. Um, we rely on our project delivery staff to help us in this space. They've been managing the Safe Routes and Street Smarts program, as well as the Crossing Guard program. Um, but we also have a whole host of programs that your planning staff are responsible for, and we coordinate with MTC, your public works departments, your planning departments, your city managers, sustainability staff as appropriate, uh, as well as MCE for our alternative fuel programs. Finally, our local planning and coordination um, is extensive as well, uh, in addition to our local jurisdictions. We're now coordinating with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority, serving on the TAC for the evacuation planning effort being led by that agency. They're using our travel demand forecasting model, um, and we're supporting them in discussions with our public works departments um, and uh, working closely with, through our project delivery team for safety planning, updating the local road safety plans. Um, we also do climate adaptation planning. We're helping the cities develop specific plans for Southeast Santa Fe and Northgate PDAs. Uh, and then we do a lot of transit coordination that um, works with all three of our transit operators in the county now, Marin County uh, Transit District, as well as Golden Gate and SMART. Uh, this list has been growing as we get into climate adaptation planning, and we're seeing the rise of sustainability staff headquartered in city managers' offices. So we're coordinating closely, closer with city managers and um, with the assistant county administrators in a different role than what we've seen in the past. But we're also working closely with Marin County Parks and National Park Service where appropriate, too. Um, so with that, that's sort of the high-level overview. Thanks for the time to show how much work we do in this department. I really appreciate it and happy to answer any questions um, that this board may have. Hey, Derek, thank you. Uh, thanks for that high-level overview. Um, it's it's, uh, it's uh, been a long and fruitful meeting. So if, if any of my fellow commissioners have any high-level questions, and I'm certain Derek, you or any member of your team are available for sort of a later in-depth something. So any questions? Just one. Thank you, Derek. Sounds like lots going on. Uh, the quick question I had was on, I wasn't aware that y'all were focusing on housing element um, stuff and, and RENA compliance. Is that because some of the funding pools that you all manage, like the strings attached related to those things? Absolutely. That's um, super good for the public to know. So thanks. Yeah. Uh, we are required under OBAG funding to make sure that our housing elements are compliant if you're receiving federal OBAG funding. Um, so that's the direct nexus, but we also work closely with your housing element, um, your, your planning directors to make sure that as you're thinking about where housing goes, that there are supportive levels of transit or active and transportation networks, which um, is still an ongoing conversation. Do you plan for the housing first or do you plan for the transportation first? Uh, so there's always a constant coordination on the housing elements. 
um, with us and with the transit operators relating to ensuring that those developments have access to um, transportation alternatives other than driving alone. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm sorry, this is the newbie question. Um, who determines the priority development area? Local jurisdictions do. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this particular aspect of it. Um, and so I noticed in the map, I didn't see really the East Sir Francis Drake area uh, singled out, yet we're having Oak Hill being built. That'll be coming on in the next two years. Um, His Majesty the Governor is planning on dramatic changes to San Quentin, which will increase our traffic considerably if they start adding social workers and uh, psychiatric and technical training for the rehabilitation program at San Quentin. I also noticed uh, in our housing element and Corte Madera's housing element, uh, quite a bit of the plan possible development is in that corridor for us, for them, it's uh, Village Shopping Center, Paradise Drive, Tamil Vista, which is going to impact that area. And I'm just curious, how do we account for that and uh, make that a priority area? Yeah, I would I would point towards the San Rafael model for a successful community opposition to PDAs. I'm sorry to well, thank you to the Pam Board Commissioner from San Rafael, um, there was an extensive public engagement process. Uh, what is necessary to um, support a city council in making that decision? Um, and they did do a robust public outreach process in a very short compressed time to identify what the needs are for the community and what's the best strategy for developing those needs. Uh, we know that the housing element sites and there are development on East Sir Francis Drake and um, you know, if there are infrastructure needs associated with those developments, one of the best ways uh, to start that process is to have that community conversation. How do you intend to fund investment infrastructure in those corridors? And is the PDA designation the right one for your community? Um, I think that's the starting conversation. It's not going in with a predefined notion that you need a priority development area. Uh, it does have some benefits for regional and state um, funding from MTC and from partner agencies. And if that's ultimately the right thing for your community, that's up to a city council to determine. Well, just um, where I'm thinking is in terms of it just doesn't affect us in Larchburg and Corner Madera, but it has that the whole Ross Valley corridor along Drake Boulevard. We're affecting Ross, San Anselmo, Fairfax. I mean, it just anything we do at this end is going to dramatically affect the other end too so how is that something we as communities have to start talking to each other on that level or is it come up to this level you want to answer that that's uh that's a big question for sure and it's it's a little bit you know, it, it, it is related to the PDA question, but it also doesn't have to be related to the PDA question. I mean, we certainly encourage when we're working with jurisdiction staff and they have a transportation project that is going to affect a neighboring jurisdiction, we try to encourage cooperation when working together on those kinds of projects. Um, the kind of thing you're talking about with major developments um, you know, similarly has the potential to spill over jurisdiction borders. 
what Tam's role is in that development conversation is um, um, a, a little bit limited in some ways. Um, and uh, but we're also you know happy to support the board or staff in uh, those conversations or with any technical advice that we can provide. I think um, just just to clarify a couple things here. So the the PDA nomination is done by a local jurisdiction. So if you see or don't see an area on the map um, designated as a PDA, that's because the local jurisdiction has chosen or not chosen to make that designation. Um, so just want to make sure that that's clear. And then also going back to C Commissioner Cutrano's question, TAM doesn't have a role in sort of um, enforcing uh, RENA or housing element compliance. What we do is we make sure that if a jurisdiction is receiving certain funds where those are required uh, by MTC or by the state, um, we will work to uh, verify that those requirements have been met. So usually that's in consultation with jurisdiction staff. So we don't have, strictly speaking, an enforcement role, but uh, connected to the funding is, is kind of a monitoring role, I would characterize it. Thank you. Commissioner Rice. Yeah, thank you. Um, just a quick follow-up question, Derek, and I appreciate the presentation. It was very fun. And, and I think you had fun too. Um, More cathartic. Um, so on the on the PDA, this new PDA site th that's brand new. I'm assuming that our planning directors are aware of this new opportunity because the value of these PDA if, of having the PDA designation, frankly, is about access for fund to funding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we received a presentation from MTC directly to the planning directors last month or this month, and so yes, they've been made aware. Okay, great. And then um, I just can't help but comment on, you know, one of the things about any new housing that gets built, it, we, we think it, it's going to potentially create more traffic, but and that Oak Hill project is a great example. Commissioner Carroll of actually um, being built to house local workforce, and they'd already be driving around in our community. So anyway, that's part of the, part of the reasons we're trying to create housing in the for workers in the right places so that we are more efficient with how we move around the county and, and so people can actually live where they work. Thank you. Commissioner, uh, Vice Chair Lucan. Thank you. I also had a, a PDA question because I, I remember, gosh, and some of my colleagues will remember, you know, 10 plus years ago, you know, PDAs were the big bad boogeyman yeah. in Marin. Everybody was scared of them. Nobody adopted them. Well, <laughs> So no, nobody adopted them. They're fear that, oh, you, you adopt these PDAs and then you're going to get these high housing numbers in the next arena cycle. And here we are today and everybody got high numbers in the arena cycle, but San Rafael, you know, wasn't afraid of the boogeyman. Now they're getting all this planning money. Uh, so I'm just curious, do you get a sense, the, is that sentiment changing at all in, in the folks that you speak with um, across jurisdiction? I mean, it's probably work for all of us to ask our local planning directors, but what's what's your sense of of the tie of, of a PDA to higher housing numbers in the future? Uh, I will channel our local DPW directors that were displeased with how the funding was allocated from OBAG 3 and wanted to see more funding go to non-PDA jurisdictions. So um, I would say that the, the process here has been changing over the last couple of years. I think, um, you know, the, the big bag boodoo, boogeyman, as you put it, of PDAs, um, you know, I, I don't think that's played out necessarily yeah. in this county. If you are growing and you are growing in a way that, um, 
is located next to transit and there are sort of co-benefits that can be of um, use for the transportation system or transportation improvements. I think we've seen from San Rafael, the arena numbers went down compared to everybody else. And they also got $12 million out of $19 million available. So it's kind of hard to say that the PDA process has had a direct impact on RENA this cycle. Um, the calculus here is a little bit murky. Um, it's based on Plan Bay Area 2050 household growth, which is influenced by PDAs, but the linkage is not exactly clear. So um, I, I would struggle to say that there's a lot of reception to new PDAs in the community, but um, I think that's partially a branding issue too of are these really priority development areas or are the areas of the county that are planned for green GHG reduction um, or green communities that are GHG reduction uh, centric for our transportation system. Um, I think that we have sort of a branding issue with PDA is more than a logistical issue of nominating or growing correctly in this county. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's probably some work for all of us uh, to do on our side because you're absolutely right. It, and propriety development area probably was not the best word to use when these were created either. But regardless, you know, everybody was fearful of this housing that was going to come. And it's not the PDAs that resulted in the housing that, you know, maybe are people are concerned about. It's it's other changes in state law. It's SB 35. It's, you know, higher arena numbers. It's But it's not, there isn't that direct correlation of PDAs. I just don't know how we change that perception because it, it's still out there. You you throw out the acronym PDA and that history is still there in a lot of communities. So I guess the work's on us to Yeah, I, I would say the work's not only on elected officials, but also just having a community conversation around what your values are. Um, EVs cannot be our only answer for electric, uh, for GHG reduction. Um, we need to have some integration with other transit modes and encouraging communities that allow for walking and biking. And um, there's a conversation to be had with our jurisdiction or with our communities about that. Um, and I think the housing elements are, and how you deliver on those housing elements are gonna have implications for local jurisdiction planning responsibilities um, and ability to actually um, you know, have a discretionary review over your housing uh, that goes in. And so the penalties and the process is outside of the PDA at this point um, from our perspective, but that your local directors or city managers may have a different um, perspective as well. I, I appreciate that background. Thank you. Back to you, Commissioner Katrana. Yeah, sorry for one more comment, but that was generative for me. I think one thing you mentioned, Derek, earlier was the fact that um, MTC is considering maybe not doing a really hard deadline, but maybe a soft deadline for either the priority sites or PDAs. And I just hope that um, that, com that conversation keeps on going. Because I think on the one hand, we want to have really robust dialogues in our communities about what this could mean for our communities. But to say that and to simultaneously have like a July deadline doesn't feel appropriate, especially when some communities haven't even certified their housing elements. Uh, so that that's just something to hopefully you can carry forward to MTC. Seeing no more commissioner comments, Jennifer, any public comment online? I don't see any hands raised at this time. All right. Well, this is, I believe, just a discussion item. And it seems I think we had a full, robust and, dare I say, fun discussion, Derek. 
So thank you for that. And we are adjourned. Thank you.